Welcome to Sake Deep Dive. I am your host, Jim Ryan, sake writer, sake translator, sake drinker, all around sake guy. Joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Andrew Russell. How you doing, Andy? Good, Jim. Good to hear another, you. Another fantastic topic. Uh, <laughs> just as the warm weather is just, trying to come up yeah i have to question our choice like we could have maybe done this a little earlier or i guess later <laughs> the way you know time is a flat circle and all that but um yes i actually had uh an opportunity to partake in our topic earlier today and uh got a little sweaty <laughs> got a little warm but it's the way it goes listen uh, no no shame from this end whatsoever uh, there you go so uh, do you want to share? What is our topic for today, Andy? Yes, we are talking about warming sake, and Japanese, okan. Okan, kan sake. We're turning up the heat. I have to admit, when I first, when we, when we first discussed having this topic, I didn't think there would be a lot of meat on the bones. You know, when we dig deep into stuff, we tend to get into things with a little bit more murkiness about them and i i assumed that kanzaki was just there like everybody kind of accepted it it was a thing it turns out that i was totally wrong <laughs> because yeah. the myths around kanzaki just seem to be undead like they're just zombies they keep shambling around and spilling out of the strangest places yeah, there, there does seem to be these kind of really stubborn myths within the industry that for whatever reason, we just can't seem to shake. No matter how many people debunk the myths, they, they just continue to, to sort of linger for whatever reason. So, so yeah, hopefully we will, we will do our best to put that to rest tonight. Right. Let's drive a straight through it so that, you know, you can proudly say as a sake deep dive listener that you know the truth about Kanzake. So let me just let, let's start with the myth, because there's this persistent idea that warmed sake, Kanzake, is a practice that came about because of cheap bad sake and it somehow hides the, the cheapness and the badness in it and uh, it's an inappropriate way to drink a good sake one of the things that really sort of kicked me off in, in more recently is this uh, quote it's it's i won't name him you know i, I don't want to name and shame anybody but a sake brewer outside of japan was quoted in a newspaper article saying that sake should not be served warm and that restaurants that do serve warm sake are doing it to mask the strong alcoholic taste of cheap sake, which I'm just going to lay this out there. That is categorically a false statement. It is not inappropriate to serve sake warm. It is, in fact, extremely appropriate, traditional, and uh, one of the most fundamental parts of sake drinking culture throughout its history and the idea that somehow a warm sake will hide the strong alcoholic taste of a cheap sake just strikes me as really weird because what warming sake does is it just turns all the taste up like it just makes it taste more of everything what do you think yeah yeah i mean if i'll try and be as i'll try and be the devil's advocate on this one the, mm -hmm. That myth, there, there must be something that 
gave rise to that that myth in the first place and i've never experienced it being perfectly honest but you do hear that story so often about people going into usually restaurants overseas mm-hmm. with an asian theme mm-hmm. where they're served something most likely mm-hmm. not you know seishu or nihonshu or a product of japan and it comes out in a rather cheap tokuri or flask you know piping hot and the idea is that the the restaurant has heated it charged you for sake and they've they've you know they've done that to 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 hide all the flaws that's where this this idea comes from the flip side to that is you know you you often hear that premium sake like the quote that you've just mentioned should always be served chilled and and again that's something that I have to admit, I, I must have said this, you know, four or five times within six or seven episodes of doing this podcast, that the idea that highly aromatic sake is representative of all sake is categorically false. They do lend themselves quite well to, to chilling or room temperature. That does not equate to premium sake. That just happens to be the, the the lion's share of the premium sake category, you know, the, the Dai Ginjo, the Ginjo categories. But there's also examples of Ginjo and Dai Ginjo, highly suitable for warming as well. So again, categorically wrong. It's a gross generalization. And, you know, that kind of quote does, you know, that does kind of grate at me as well, because if you're a newcomer to, to sake and you, you know, you listen to that, and you take that advice on board, you're really depriving yourself of one of the best aspects of sake, which is its versatility. And of course, within that versatility, you have to talk about its ability, almost unique within the alcoholic beverage world, of being able to drink it at such a wide spectrum temperature range. It's, a, it's an incredible characteristic to have. So. I have had that experience. Like I, the very first sake that I ever drank was at one of those uh, Asian themed restaurants. It was a, like a fake Benihana's, you know, one of those show steakhouses. You, uh, they call them hibachi restaurants in America. They're not hibachi restaurants. They're tepanyaki restaurants. But the sake was bad. It was poorly handled, I imagine. And it was heated too much. But I, I imagine that at a restaurant like that they are not heating the sake out of some idea that oh this is going to hide how bad it is they're heating the sake because there was this stereotype like you may have seen in kill bill that that warm sake was this sort of secret like it was you know the cool people were drinking warm sake which you know hey maybe they were yeah i i think the cool people are drinking warm sake (laughs) I'm I'm drinking warm sake. I don't know how cool I am. I think you're cool, Jim. So Thank there you, you. go. Well, so, there you yeah. go. You and my mom. There's two. Wow. Uh, <laughs> right. So, but but yes, warm sake is like it's not universal, but it is a building block of traditional Japanese sake drinking culture. And uh, I think it's sad if people don't know about that and if they don't appreciate and celebrate it. Right. And um, it's also really old, like it's 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 a thing that has been around for 
uh, almost as long as the idea of filtered sake of, of seishu itself right yeah i mean the the, the earliest records or documented consumption of warm sake that i could find goes back to the heian period or heian jidai so that's 1794 to 1185 so this is the of course at the time this would be the the aristocratic oh, elite so that was that was 794 or 17 794 to 11 seven ninth yeah. yeah the 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 heian period is you know what the mm -hmm. the eight the eighth century right so you know this is the time that led up to the Kamakura period. So before the Kamakura period, this was a time of where the aristocrats ruled. And these would probably be the only people that would be consuming sake anyway. There's there's records of when it when it was recommended where you start drinking kanzake and when you finish drinking kanzake. And it, it was kind of bookended by two of the five main festivals in Japan which is the, the Chrysanthemum Festival, which was on the 9th of September. That's the, the first day of when you were recommended to, to start drinking kanzake. Bear in mind, you know, that this was a fashion statement to drink sake at the time. This would have been a, a big part of their culture. And then the, the, the season continues right up until the Momono Matsuri, which I guess now is the Hina Matsuri. So that's in, in March. And there's theories as to why it's so specific, but one interesting one that I found was that coal back then would have been obviously a luxury item and it wasn't distributed throughout the year. So that is the, apparently according to this source that I found, but I, I wouldn't bet my mortgage on this source being correct. It was just a blog, but they thought that as those two periods coincided, that that would probably be why they'd selected that specific period. But you then move later on to the to the Warring States period, and there's Portuguese missionaries that have documented witnessing the Japanese drinking warm sake throughout the entire year. And of course, into the Edo period, this was a, a very intricate part of the drinking culture in the Edo period, you know, right down to which utensils were used, the method of heating the sake, whether it be directly to the flame or whether it be bathing the, the vessels. So, so there, there is a whole subculture that surrounds it, which is enough evidence to know that this, was, this was, has always been a very important aspect of the consumption of sake. Yeah. And, and that historical context should really drive home the idea that this isn't a gimmick. Uh, this isn't some way of, of tricking consumers. Like, it's just the way people have always drunk sake. Like, it's just always been there. And so, obviously, yes, good sake or bad sake, people were drinking it warm. And they still are. And the idea of chilled sake sort of for modern consumers actually came relatively recently. Like, probably the Ginjo boom of the of say, say the 1980s or the 1990s is when people started focusing on, you know, chilling their own sake primarily because that was, you know, about when everybody had a refrigerator at home, right? Like post 50s. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's a name for it, isn't there? I mean, Japanese love naming things. Yeah. Was it, was it not like my homu or something it was, where, yes, exactly. you know, yeah. they would build this home with the, the foundations of 
you know, you had to have a refrigerator, an air conditioning unit, and, you know, I think the other thing would have been a TV. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, they, they, they do kind of coincide with that, but, but yeah, that is very recently. So, yeah. And so like within living memory, right. I, I one of my, my great sort of, uh, sake shishio teachers and mentors his Yamagata Toshiro of Yamagata Honten, Bochotsuru fame, says that he was instrumental in sort of bringing sake to refrigerators because he, he, he came up with the idea of making a, a sake that would be better chilled. And he, he says that then after that, everybody just sort of started copying him. I can't speak to the truth of that, but it's a know, bold claim. It's a bold claim. Right. Yeah, a modern development in sake is the idea of chilling sake. And that development has shaped a certain segment of the modern sake brewing sort of trend. And that primary thing is aromatic sake, because warming things or cooling things, it, it has an effect on how you perceive them on on how your senses interact with them and uh, warming things up right it brings out flavor it, it sort of cranks everything up except that it also really affects aroma and and those esters that bring out what, what we call the ginjoka right they they're quite volatile right they they fall apart when you heat things up. And so those really, really aromatic modern sake made with 1801 yeast or extremely highly polished rice may not survive intact. Yeah, I think the key thing there is, well, two things, you know, how the brewer intended it. And obviously the concept of subjectivity you know, th how the brewer intended it, of course, was for these esters and, you know, these very, you know, floral, delicate aromas that come out. That's obviously how the brewer, the, the brewer intended for you to enjoy them. Having said that, I have one little anecdote from, from brewing sake. What one person likes, another person may not, and vice versa. One of the jobs that I do at the brewery is, and at my first brewery as well, is pasteurization. This is how sake gets around, you know, effectively sterilizing their product or how sake brewers get around that without using chemicals like they do in wine. They heat it to about 62 to 65 degrees in a bath of, of hot water, and that basically treats the sake. Now, both of the breweries, we've done 100% in bottle, and you have to... You have to do this with the okan, the, the caps, unfastened. Otherwise, the pressure inside the bottle could lead to an explosion in the bottle. So midway through that, even when we're doing the highly aromatic ones, my first season when I was brewing, I'd always just take the cap off and have a little smell of the, the stuff because it shouldn't be nice, right? It's, it's ginjo. And we used, you know, these highly aromatic yeasts at my first brewery, like 1801. And of course, it's completely different from what the brewers intended, but it's certainly not a bad smell. And there are some people, there's the early signs of a kind of movement of people that, that like, you know, highly aromatic sake that are warmed. 
I have to admit, I'm not one of them, but I, from that experience of pasteurizing, I can see why it's got its own unique aromas, you know, that come from it. So I could see why some people would, would maybe like that. So we, we, I think we need to be careful that we don't sort of, everything's black and white, that must be chilled and that must be warmed or whatever. I still don't understand why we can't accept it. People have different tastes and they're entitled to enjoy the sake the way they like. I have to sort of uh, come clean, Andy. I heat every sake that I drink at least once. So do I, because yeah. you never know. You right? never know. You never know. And if I get a Daiginjo, I have no compunction about bringing it up to Nurukan, right? Nurukan is about 40 degrees centigrade. And, and um, a lot of times it really works. You know, I'm not a, a very aromatic centric sake drinker. I like flavor. I like uh, things that, that happen on, on the palate. And those Daiginjos, even, you know, the really modern aromatic ones, I remember a, a Harada, uh, Hatsumomoji Shuzo is, is, is an extremely modern, very aromatic Daiginjo, but I was drinking it Atsukan, actually, I think it was 50 degrees or so. I mean, it was, it was great. Like the flavors were in such big and, and bold balance and the aroma, I just, you know, it didn't smell bad. Like it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that big fruit salad aroma that people really look for, but it was still an incredibly enjoyable experience. And when I told Harada-san, the Toji that, <laughs> like he was speechless. He's like, you, you heated it up. I was like, yeah, he did. He's like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, taste is taste, which yeah. is, is, I guess, the, the, the whole point of that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I, I do want to kind of get into that because there are sort of these measures, right? They, you could, if you, if you Google around a little bit or in Japanese, at least about, you know, how flavors change when you heat things up, you'll keep stumbling on this graph. And basically the graph shows that um, when people are asked to taste uh, specific flavor elements, at different temperatures, they, they tend to all follow the same pattern. Sweet goes up and then it starts to come back down. Uh, salt starts to come down. Then bitterness comes up and, it, and then it starts to come down. And then acidity is just this straight line from left to right. And people use that when they're talking about sake. They say, all right, you can see that, you know, things like sweetness and saltiness and, and, and bitterness, they all go up and down and they have this pattern, acidity doesn't. And, and I've been told that before, right? You know, when you drink something at different temperatures, the acidity, the perception of acidity doesn't change. I disagree. When I drink a sake that has been warmed, I, I particularly gravitate towards those more acidic styles, of, you know, Kimoto or, or things where, where that particularly lactic acid element, it also comes up, like it also expands. And I like that because it balances that sweetness. Particularly here I am in Western Japan and lots of Western Japanese brewers, they, they make a sweeter sake. And when you heat a sweet sake up, it gets even sweeter. And that can be a little bit powerful sometimes unless it has that acidic counterpoint. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned this on Twitter once, and 
people disagree. It was like, no, temperature doesn't affect acidity. Well, I found that I was not the only one, right? <laughs> uh, good old J stage it has, has articles from the, the journal of the sake brewers association going back decades. And they have an article about, they pulled people drinking sake and they found that those five primary organic acids that, that add acidity to sake, lactic acid, succinic acid, malic acid, citric acid, and acetic acid, all of them increase when you warm temperature up. So absolutely, the flavors expand. Everything just kind of gets cranked up a bit. So you get more of everything and the balance changes. And in a well-made sake, I find that the balance is, the, the balance gets better. Things get smoother and rounder and I guess harmonious is the, the term that I'm looking for. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I've always said, you know, everyone's got their own benchmark for what a great sake is. And everyone's entitled to that opinion of what they what they think is great and they'll probably make their buying decisions based on that my own personal one has pretty much always been a sake with versatility when you're when you're playing around with temperatures so if you've got a sake that i'm not talking about whether it gets you know more delicious because again we're into subjectivity here but a sake that gives you something really new and interesting regardless of what you do with it, whether it's chilled or whether it's warmed. That's my bag. That's that's a great sake to me. You know, we'll be dealing again in the future. It'll definitely be next on my list. You know, actually one of the, the sake that I'm going to recommend tonight, the, the, the Toji who, who made it and now makes sake at another brewery, <laughs> he always talks about that. He always says, what he wants people to do with his sake is to try it at different temperatures because he, and he actually, interesting, you're talking about acidity. He specifically notes the, the, the difference in the type of acidity that is displayed between chilled sake and warmed sake. Yes. And he always, he always tells me if you're buying my sake, cause I actually got scalded by him at a, at a dinner one evening and um, because I'd, up until that point, I'd really drinking all of the, his sake warmed. And he said, but no, 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 it's not just about warming sake. Try it chilled as well, and you'll get a different you know, flavor profile. So I totally agree with you on that sense that the acidity should be changing and, and also different types of acidity coming to the, uh, to the fore, depending on what temperature you've got it at. I, I, I'm 100% agree. Like if, if a sake changes if it if it brings a new kind of enjoyment at different temperatures then and that's that's a total win i and in gosh like in the five or six years that i've really been sort of thinking about sake not just drinking it i can only think of one or two that fell apart at different temperatures and then actually like i I regretted heating them. Everything... I can name I can name one. And <laughs> I, I, I know which one you'll be talking about. So no, I'm not gonna name anything. Most people I'll restrain I, then. Yeah, let's 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 not again, no naming and shaming. But yeah, absolutely. You know, and 
and and I have to say that like the the sake that uh, Andy is referring to is not has it does not claim to be anything other than a sake to be chilled and sung sipped from a wine glass like that's their thing more power to them definitely to me it's a sign of proper fermentation right those different levels of acidity that come out at different temperatures if in the brewing process those those acids were not really produced then there's nothing to come out and then you know these these temperatures as they change there's no balance that element is missing and it kind of just like it crumbles like a house of cards so right a, a sake that is just solidly well made will have something to offer at all kinds of temperatures it may not be what you want but it it, it will reveal the kind of balance that that goes into making it in my yeah. opinion yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting you said Kimoto and Yamahai because out of all the sake classifications, they're probably the most versatile style of sake out there. And again, it might not be to your taste, but if you try, you can't generalize, obviously, because Kimoto and Yamahai come in so many different variations. But as a general rule, if you try Yamahai and Kimoto chilled, they, they kind of there's a kind of graininess sort of astringency to them, which some people don't enjoy. And some people, you know, some people kind of get into that kind of thing. But if you, when you start to warm most Yamahai and Kimoto, you know, that, that transformation occurs and they, they, they mellow, they soften out and the flavors kind of, I don't know, they, they, they kind of bolden in a good way. So, so yeah, I guess Kimoto and Yamahai, there must be something about the composition, you know, they have that, you know, th those different kinds of acidity, maybe slightly higher amino acids, typically, you know, generally, mm -hmm. that makes it a good candidate for, for trying it a, a wider spectrum of temperatures. I think that's, that's probably exactly it, right? They, they just have those, those different components, you know, and I know that people hesitate they they've maybe especially if they don't have just a huge variety of, of sake on hand to experiment with you know they don't want to ruin something they don't want to be like oh no i shouldn't have heated that up i'm going to say that probably it, it doesn't matter as much as you worry about like if all you drink is super aromatic expensive daikinjo then you're probably not looking for what happens when you heat sake up? But if if you if you're wondering to explore the, the 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 more richer flavor elements, then heat everything up. As Andy says, I think Kimoto and Yamaha particularly lend themselves towards uh, interesting things happening when you heat them up. Um, dry junmais also do a pretty good job. Honjozo is another excellent thing to experiment with and i mean if you if you have access to futsushu futsushu is all about warming up i guarantee you that's exactly what the uh the brewer does with their own futsushu but but very important to point out not because it's a bad sake <laughs> because it's a the, bad sake yeah right. yeah because generally the the, the recipes for futsushu ha have really not changed since before that period where people did not have refrigeration. 
it's it's kind of old school sake if you will you know at that time people would have heated that type of sake up or they would have drank it at room temperature they wouldn't have put it in their fridge so it it's it's only really logical that these types of sake were are more suited to to warming it isn't about being bad or other stuff being better quality quote unquote it's it's just that it comes from a time where that is how it was consumed generally speaking so so yeah de definitely futsushu is a fantastic candidate but shouldn't make the leap that we shouldn't make the leap anyway that futsushu is automatically assumed that it's bad it is a lower grade of sake and it, the price is reflected in it but that's not why they're it's warming up and i think that is the leap unfortunately mm -hmm. so many people make yeah i think that, that is also true and i i really appreciate you putting that out because i yeah i do not want to anyone to misconstrue me don't heat futsushu up because there's something wrong with it heat futsushu up because that's the way it was designed that's like just you know maybe it's just the sort of the the social anarchist in me but like i said i heat everything namazake shibori tate daiginjo it doesn't matter i try it warm i, I and i almost always enjoy it I, like i'm not exaggerating when i say it. i almost always enjoy warming no matter how outside conventional wisdom it might be right so so andy if you and i are so agreed on uh how great it is to warm sake up like what do you think why do you think that this resistance or this uh this this sort of bad reputation persists why why don't more people just give up and enjoy the hot stuff personally speaking i i do think that people are maybe just overthinking it a little bit and, and i think that unfortunately comes from the wine world mm -hmm. wine really when you think about it is, is quite a tricky customer you really have to get the temperature spot on and it's, it isn't versatile. Maybe I'm going to offend a lot of wine drinkers by saying that, but certainly compared to, to Nihonshu, it really isn't versatile. So you have to really be careful what you pair it with and, you know, and how you serve it. It's, although there is sweet spots and there's going to be points where you get the temperature just right and it's going to be fantastic. I think if you go outside of that, nine times out of 10, you're still going to have something nice in your glass. So I, I do think that people are just maybe overthinking it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've heard on numerous occasions people talking about, you know, the reason, one of the reasons they don't do okan at home is because it's really difficult to make. And that always baffled me because yeah. there, there are so many ways you can do it. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a pan water, you know, a vessel suitable, like a tokuri, you know, these carafes, they don't have to be expensive. If you've got that and the ability to boil water, then you can make okan in what is considered the best method of heating sake. Yeah, I, it, it's that simple. It's, it is really simple. I think part of that is, is actually, I think we have to lay that on kind of the Japanese drinking culture because, you know, they've had this idea that they, what was it? The kanban, 
they had like the the yeah. person who used to be in charge of heating the sake at a, at izakayas and stuff they've like they're a, they're a master of their craft or whatever and i i personally like i know that i'm going to get crap for this and i i don't care you can microwave your sake it's okay yeah. like it's not going to explode it's not going to kill anybody it's not going to turn it into poison you can microwave your sake. I microwave my sake all the time. I happen to be blessed with a microwave that has a a setting just to heat drinks. It's got the, the Ocon button. It's, it's yeah. got the Ocon button. Like I, I understand that not everybody has that. If you look at sake brewer websites for most of the major makers, um, they will have instructions on how to microwave their sake. Basically do it in in small, relatively evenly sized, evenly shaped vessels at maybe 20 second intervals, right? And you want to kind of move it around because the big worry with microwaving is that um, it's uneven. Places that are narrow will get hotter than places that are wider. So, you know, if you start around a bit in the middle, it's it's not rocket science. Like it's, it's literally just making something warm. That's all you're doing. Yeah. There, there's also there's also arguments for it actually being a very good method as well in the microwave. You know, I've heard people saying that it, you know, it, it stirs up the water molecules and the alcohol. I, I'd heard a very similar thing about the time intervals and stuff, but uh, I'd also read somewhere that you should cover the, you know, the tokuri, the carafe, mm -hmm. uh, or the decanter, and that helps with that unevenness that you always hear about. I have to admit, I, I don't use the microwave because I've always... I don't know, this is, again, I don't know if this is just me, but I've always lived somewhere where I've had the ability to boil water. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just, first... I, it's just faster. Like, that's all yeah. it is. It's, there's nothing else to it. And it is like, just faster. Yeah. I will even say, like, Kembishi, you know, those little glass 180 milliliter bottles, those Ichigo bottles of Kembishi, are specifically designed for microwaving. Like, they won an award for that design so that you could microwave their sake. So, I mean, you know, of course, Kenbishi, like I think you could like throw it in a volcano and it'd still come out tasting okay. It's 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 pretty bulletproof. Yeah. It's big, bold, amino, <laughs> amino acid laden sake. So it's perfect for, uh, for warming. So. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I sort of alternate, like I, I microwave sake all the time, but I also have a, an, an electric kettle right that that heats water up to like 90 degrees in a minute and a half or whatever and then you just you know drop your tokuri in there and it it's it's warm in in a couple of minutes so yeah i mean F philip harper in his book uh, i guess his second book he he talks about the different ways to to heat it and they they would do it in the kettle yeah so um and and actually People are going to say, well, that's that's crazy. Why would you do it in the kettle? But when I talked earlier about, you know, the, the differences in drinking culture in the Edo period, you know, there's always this kind of conflict between, the, you know, the, the Kansai region of Japan and the Edo, uh, or, you know, the Tokyo, what was previously Edo. And they have these very distinct, you know, mannerisms and characteristics and, and culture. And it was no different, obviously, in the Edo period. It was interesting. There was obviously a very high literacy rate in the Edo period. 
and someone I forget the name lived in both regions. And one of the things that he focused on it, when he when he documented the differences between them was in the way that they served Atskan or Okan, you know, warm how they warmed sake. And I think it might be in the Kyoto region, right up through the Edo period, they were still doing it on a direct flame. So that is the sake would go into what is effectively a, a kettle. I mean, it mm. looks like a kettle. Whereas, and they would heat it directly on the flame. Whereas in Edo, they were slightly quicker to get to the, or maybe not quicker is the wrong word. They 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 opted for bathing the vessels. So these these kan dokuri or kan tokuri, mm-hmm. either either is okay, and that was a distinct way of how they did it in in that region of Japan. So when you think about you know what Philip Harper's saying about putting it in the kettle, it, that that's actually a very very logical way to do it. That's how that's how they did it historically. So yeah, there's there's merits for there's merits and demerits for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just think that basically the, the important point is <laughs> there you're just making it warm. Find a heat source, apply heat source. Maybe if you've got a thermometer, they're not expensive. <laughs> Maybe take the temperature, you know and I'll, I'll drop I'll drop something in the, the Patreon show notes uh, with all of the different uh, the uh, the temperature names right because you've they've got all those like really interesting old fashioned names for the different temperatures uh Hitohada kan or Hinata kan or Nuru kan or Tobikiri kan. We should so. probably just point out the coolest one out of all of them, which is Hitohada kan. For anyone that doesn't speak Japanese, that is that means literally. The temperature of one's skin, so that that's I guess an entry heating temperature. There you go. What what a brilliant uh, name for a temperature! The temperature of one's skin. I think if you wanted to heat heat something to the temperature of one's skin, you just find someone you really like and have them hold the bottle for a while. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So but yeah, I should. Huh? Sorry, Jim. I I should say though. I, I have a confession. When you're saying about these, that that is all fine, and I do it at home in a very basic way in bathing it. But big confession, I am an absolute sucker for an okanban. When you see one in a Japanese restaurant, I really I buy into all their you know their craftsmanship. Oh, right. Yeah. My because, my yeah. my favorite bar in in the world is in Okayama, and I'm gonna hopefully take you there at some point this this year but a place called kai fork which they were going for kai hole which is like liberate so liberation mm-hmm. zone but they've come up with kai fork as the name i guess that's how it sounds or something um or kai hoku but they they are famous for kanzaki they have chilled sake as well and you know they have a fridge and you can go and help yourself and what have you but they're it's a husband and wife team and they are passionate about kanzaki and i've been in there when it's 36 degrees outside at eight o'clock in the evening and you sit down and they say you know shall we warm your sake tonight they will heat your sake no matter what <laughs> and the the way they do it they do it in this old uh, very expensive kind of copper vessel that was custom made for making kanzaki and they, they do it mostly by feel and it is it's you know 
it is something to behold when you see them and they do know their sake inside out so they they are doing it you know based on experience and based on what they what they think is going to bring out the best in that sake and um, whether it's overkill I kind of don't care because yeah I I, I love it so well, yeah because you're talking about the experience right they, I mean of course yeah. you know taste taste is only one element of this the experience of of drinking sake and and a place like that with people you you like talking to and being around that's that's a whole other realm of of enjoyment and i i would absolutely love to dive in there i've, it should I've actually not be never, missed by anyone i've i've yeah. actually never been in a place with a kanban well like, i will take you to one and as i said it's it's something that should should not be missed by any serious sake drinker because you know to deprive yourself of that is just uh, such a shame ah uh, well I, I i look forward to uh to uh getting that experience that's that's con right we i hopefully we we've demonstrated how acceptable it is how preferable it is to try sake warmed up as for our particular choices andy what do you think what's a good sake to drink heated up my recommendation is from very close to home it's from a little town uh, on the Seto Inland Sea in Hiroshima called Takehara and it's Taketsuru Shuzo and it is their uh, their premium line called Ozasaya which is the the Yago of their old company I always struggle with the translation of the Yago it's like the the name of the company before they started making sake and it was made with omachi which should be no surprise because it's a, a recommendation from me but without a word of a lie that sake completely changed my whole outlook on warming sake it is absolutely spectacular when you warm it up and it's 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 great at a wide range of temperatures but lightly warmed right the way up to, to piping hot. Um, it is just an incredible sake. So, so yeah, it isn't a Kimoto or a Yamahai. I mean, they, they make a lot of Kimoto, but there's no surprise, or it shouldn't be a surprise, that it was brewed by someone who believes that the, the, the entire sake industry peaked during the Edo period <laughs> with, the, with the creation of Mototsuri Kimoto. So, Kimoto, where they use poles to, to, to puree the mash, because obviously that's a modern version of making Kimoto. And he believes firmly that that, was the, that is even now the pinnacle of sake brewing. And that's how he brews his sake. It's only logical that it works so well warmed. But if you can get a hold of that, I'm not the only one. I've heard an inordinate amount of people that say, that sake is just incredible warmed and it changed their mind about warming sake. So that would be how I would convert people. If someone gave me an objection and there was a bottle close by, I would warm up that sake and let them try it. And I'm almost certain that would uh, debunk the myth right there and then. So yeah, Taketsuru Ozasaya and it's uh, to be precise, Yamato Omachi, which is a Cairo Omachi. Not a pure stream, but okay. nonetheless, a great sake. Nonetheless, great sake. Fantastic. I don't know that I've had that one. 
I've had a sasaya, but I don't know if that was it. That's the yeah. that's the entry level one. So it 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 is aged for two years. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit more expensive than than a standard junmai would cost you, but it, it's worth it. And it's only a little bit more expensive than standard junmai. Fantastic. And so my recommendation, uh, I'm gonna go up to the northern coast of Yamaguchi. I'm going to Hagi City for a bit of uh, Choyo Fukumusume. This is from uh, Iwasaki Shuzo, and it is the first time I have seen this particular one. It's just this year, but it is a Chikagumi Nuroka Namagenju, right? So again, one of those things that people tend not to heat up, but this one, is a little bit different because it, it is a tokubetsu junmai yamahai right so again that yamahai is is, is bringing out all of those amino acids and different kinds of organic acids to, to bring all those different little pieces of flavor together and so as you heat that up all of those things kind of find a new balance and they find a new place and they, it really brings out so much variety of flavor and this is another one that when you let it cool down, what they call kanzamashi, again, you can tr you can see how it changes and, and bring and falls into a different shape over time. And it, it's just a, another kind of excitement, another kind of enjoyment to sake drinking. Fantastic. Yeah, good stuff. Sorry. So that brings us to the end of another sake deep dive i think uh, this time our takeaway hopefully has put to rest the myths andy what's our takeaway for this deep dive just on yeah. hopefully that comes across in all the episodes we do but like with everything else regarding sake try and keep an open mind try everything you know, around sake at, at least once. Don't disregard such a fundamental part of the enjoyment of sake. You know, it's it's party pieces, this ability to, to be enjoyed at these various temperatures. So don't discount that entire part just because you've read somewhere that warm sake is, is bad because the sake is bad in the first place. Bad sake is bad. It's very rarely that case. But good and good sake is good. It has nothing to do with the temperature. Yeah. And just one final thing. If you are a newcomer to the world of warm sake, Jim just mentioned a very important word there called kanzamashi. The thing that I used to do before I was was more comfortable with warming sake was deliberately do kanzamashi. So all you do is you, you warm it up to you know, a fairly high temperature, maybe atsukan level, and then you drink the sake as it starts to come down. And generally, although it's changing slightly in the glass as you're doing that, and it can alter the characteristics of the sake, you're probably going to find a sweet spot that you like somewhere on that spectrum as it starts to cool down. And then the next time, you can just go straight to that. So it's a brilliant way of really getting to know your sake is doing that little kanzamashi trick. So yeah, for anyone just getting into it, give that a try. Don't think that 
because it's a, a premium sake, if it's even if it's a daiginjo or a ginjo, that you absolutely shouldn't heat it up. Try it, you never know, and uh, you might just surprise yourself. You almost certainly will surprise yourself. Thank you, Andy. And that is it for this episode of Sake Deep Dive. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you taking the time. Remember, we do have a Patreon. You can find a, a link on our website, or you can just go straight to Patreon slash Sake Deep Dive, all one word. Uh, Patreon members can get access to a special sip episode where you can listen to Andy and I sip some of our warm sake and uh, generally just uh, act like a couple of goofballs. Absolutely. I am Jim Ryan. You can find me almost always on Twitter at Jim underscore D underscore Ryan. And of course, at my website, www.jimryan, that's R-I-O-N.com. Andy? You can find me at my website, www.originsake.com. And there's a contact page on, on the main menu where you can get my various social media channels, etc. Uh, and obviously a direct contact page as well. Yes. And of course, feel free to peruse our website. You can get in touch with both of us through there. That, that website is www.sakedeepdive.com. And enjoy your sake responsibly. I mean, we should probably say that a little bit more often. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, def it, definitely drink, do that. Drink responsibly. And uh, come by. Come by. <laughs>